Today we finish off the Sermon on the Mount as we come to the end of chapter 7, which we started last week. Uh, And Jesus really, for quite a while now in the Sermon on the Mount, if not the entire time, has continually come back to the importance of this relationship with God, that it is to be ongoing and growing, uh, and he keeps kind of pointing to this idea of being in the secret place with him, that whether we are giving or whether we are praying or whatever we're doing, it's in this relationship that really no one else is invited to. It's between you and the Lord. And, and that's where we find ourselves really growing. And um, he's, he's been hitting some hard topics. And again, they all kind of come back to that same thing. We're going to see that again today. And, and so last week, we looked a lot at not just what's going on within us. That's been the topic for quite a while. But from that relationship that we have with God, how is it? overflowing to the people around us? How are we treating one another? And really, how is our, our own perspective toward God the Father uh, himself and that relationship that we have? It, where Jesus told us, don't judge or you will be judged. And we talked a lot about that last week because there's a lot of misunderstandings of what that means. And just to sum it up a little bit again, the idea is that you're not judging yourself better than others. You're not looking down on other Christians or even looking down on the lost and going, well, I'm, I'm worthy, and they are not. That is the type of judgment Jesus was speaking about, uh, that we need to remember. We are all sinners. We are all lost without Jesus. And he encourages us that we, in that understanding of who we are, and our need to be brought low and brought humble, that we are those that ask, seek, and knock. Each one of those requires a step of faith toward that relationship with God. Um, that we're waiting on His timing. We're waiting on His provision. We're, the things that we're asking for, we're letting Him have the final say. He's the authority that's over us. And, uh, and all of these things are much harder than they sound. You know, we can look at it and go, oh yeah, that sounds good. You know, we'll just be kind and and grow in our relationship with the Lord. But Jesus ends that section by saying that this is the narrow way. The way way that most will take is the wide path, and it goes to destruction, and many go by it. But few are the way, or few are the ones that take the way that is narrow, the way of life. And, and so as we go on now into part two, again, there's some really heavy warnings that Jesus ties this message up with. And it's, it's interesting to me because when you think about uh, delivering a message or a Bible study uh, to a crowd, you know, you want to leave on a high note. You want to leave on... <laughs> and Jesus like dumps some heavy warnings on people. That's how he finishes it off. And, and it's good for us uh, because it's, it, it's really the warnings... To recognize those who are false, those who come in with wrong motives, and warnings of what the ramifications of that are. Uh, So it's good for us to look inwardly and think, am I going in those directions? Am I doing those things? Am I being false in certain ways? But also to be aware just of the world that we live in and, and how we're to be in it, right? So let's pray. 
and we'll finish off chapter 7. Lord Jesus, again, we're so grateful for your word and, and so thankful that we get to meet together as a family to study your word, to hear from you and uh, just submit ourselves to you, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way, that you would take your word, you would apply it to our lives, that we would be changed and that we would be people shining your light in this dark place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 So starting in verse 15 today, we'll be finishing off chapter 7. Verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, good, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Jesus has warned, as I mentioned, of the path of least resistance, the broad road that leads to destruction. And now he ties this in by letting us know that there are people out there that would gladly drag us with them if they can. That though we desire the narrow way, there are plenty of people out there that want to pull us back on to the wide path if possible, or to pull others that are right at that crossroads and try and take them with them. And it's important, this description that's given. It's brief, and it's easy for us to go, okay, I get that, move on. But Jesus is, is letting us know these are people that sound like believers. They, they say the right things. They, they speak the, the church language. In fact, they sound exceptionally spiritual and godly. That They're not just delivered as, or spoken of as other believers, but prophets. They, they appear to be next level in their walk. And they become masters at convincing others they are prophets. They should be listened to. They should be obeyed. And maybe they've even convinced themselves that the things they're doing are somehow for other people's benefits. Um, so Jesus gives us this important instruction on how to identify, and, and really the first one is, is so simple. It's just simply beware. Just beware that these people are out there. And unfortunately, they're not all that uncommon. I think there's places where there's more than, than maybe others. Uh, when we lived in Southern Oregon, which is a, kind of this hippie community in Ashland, it's a great place, and I love the people there. But it also attracts a lot of weirdos. And so it was like a weekly thing where I had to deal with some weirdo coming into the church with some crazy thing. And I remember this one guy coming and telling me, I'm a prophet. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you're not, you're not surprised by that? And I said, if you knew how many prophets I met this week, you wouldn't be as impressed either. <laughs> there was always someone coming along with some great thing that they had. And I'm like, dude, I've heard it, you know. And so... But for us, we need to be beware. I, I think it's important we know that means not being paranoid and not being fearful, 
Not starting some witch hunt, but just be aware. Don't be gullible. Don't be blindsided when these people show up. Because Jesus tells us they will. And, and again, it's not if, it's when. They will show up, and, and they are those with false motives. In fact, so much so, Jesus says that they are in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You couldn't get too much further apart than that. They look humble. They look innocent. They look caring. But inside, there is a dark, false motive. That what they do is for themselves. And that's how you could sum it up. They're out for themselves. They're either trying to draw people to them or get attention or get something. They've, they've become masters of making it look like they're doing it for others, but they are out for themselves. And the word that there's the phrase really of ravenous, it means the idea of an unquenchable hunger. So it doesn't matter how many people or lives they devour, they're still hungry. They are ravenous wolves, right? Pretty intense description. But how can we know them? Um, I think we make it harder than it really is. I, I think because of our own fears and our own worries, you know, we'll listen to somebody and we'll, we'll kind of weigh their words and we'll guess at their sincerity and all those things. And we might even look at their actions over the little bit of time that we've known them or the last few days that they've been around. And, and I think our biggest fear is uh, exactly what we talked about last week, is we don't want to judge them, right? We don't want to judge their motive. And, and I find that that's like an ongoing struggle because we're given the supernatural spiritual gift of discernment, right? Where the Holy Spirit just gives you a red light or a green light sometimes. You don't even know why. Maybe you meet somebody or you hear something, you just get red light and you go, hmm. My problem is, is that I have trouble knowing when it's the Holy Spirit saying red light and it's me just being a jerk, right? Because I can meet someone for the first time and like, no. <laughs> And, and, and it's this, like, this wrestling thing, and I think it's good for us, because we have to wrestle through that, and like, all right, Lord, is this from you, or is it me? And, and I think that's a good thing for us, right? It causes us to tune our ears, and man, it's got to be finely tuned sometimes to know the difference, right? So I think that's a positive thing, but I think that's our biggest fear, that when we come across someone or, or whatever, we get that red light, we're worried about this judgment. Now, again, what Jesus is speaking of is we can't judge ourselves more worthy than them. And we can't judge necessarily even their motive. But Jesus doesn't tell us that that's our job to do. In fact, he makes it so easy that all we have to do is know them by their fruit. Right? It takes a little bit more work. To know a person by the fruit in their lives means you have to know them. At least a little bit. You have to know kind of their walk with the Lord. You have to know the things in, in their life and their family. And, and I think it really happens naturally as you do get to know somebody. Again, it doesn't mean we become cops or go on a witch hunt or we're trying to like investigate somebody's past and lives to see if it's, they're telling the truth and everything. It's just as we get to know them, we see the walk that they have with the Lord. And we see the relationship they have with other people. And, and I think it happens very easily that we begin to understand whether it's good fruit or bad fruit in their lives. What is the history? And that's what I, 
look at and what Jesus is talking about here is that a good fruit has a history or a good tree has a history of bearing good fruit, right? Growing up uh, in, in, the, in the, well, not the Willamette Valley and then later on when we were in the Rogue Valley, fruit trees are a big deal, right? And you don't have an apple tree that produces good apples one year and horrible poisonous fruit the next year. It doesn't happen, right? If this tree's produced good fruit, it's most likely going to continue for years. It has a history of it. And so looking at a person's life, we go, well, what is the history? Good fruit or bad fruit? Are they known as a person that is helping, encouraging, and blessing others? Or are they known as a person that is tearing others down and making them feel unworthy and making them feel as though they they can't ever meet up to the, the right standards? doesn't take a whole lot for these things to start to becoming very evident. Now, again, I think it's important we know, and remember, everybody makes mistakes. So everybody has parts of their lives like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. But overall, even in the mistakes they've made, how did they handle them? Right? Did they repent? Are they humble about it? Are they honest about it? Or are they always blaming others for it? I have found there are those that continually blame others, play the victim, and there is a wake of destruction that follows their lives. And again, if there's no humility and there's no repentance and there's no asking for forgiveness and making things right, then that bad fruit will continue for the, for, until they do change, right? Again, we're not being told here to come up with a checklist or a formula to figure out who's who. A good tree bears good fruit. Bad tree bears bad fruit. It's, it's made so simple. Now, I think it's also important because I've had people say, well, okay, so if you're, if you're a bad tree, you're saying there's no hope that a bad tree can never bear good fruit? Well, yeah, without Jesus... No, you can't ever bear good fruit. That it's only coming to that place of salvation. It's only coming to that point of, I'm wrong and you're right. I need your forgiveness. I need to be reborn by your Holy Spirit, by your blood shed for me on the cross. Only then do we have the hope of ever bearing good fruit. Right? It's His work that does all of this for us. Now, again, so what is the good fruit we're looking for? Because I I think there's a lot of things that we could point to, and, you know, we might look at a person's friendships or their marriage or even how they do business, you know, how they're known out in the community. Those are all good things, but you could sum it all up with this, love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, is what Galatians 5 tells us. And then it goes on to describe what that love looks like. And so a person who's bearing good fruit, they love. They love God. They love his word. And the proof that those two things are true is that they love their neighbor. Because a lot of people say, oh, I love God. I love his word. I can't stand people, right? But they love the lost, and they love the saved, and their heart breaks when someone else's heart breaks. They love. That 
is the fruit. A lot of people will point to success here or success there or you know, their kids or their kids' success or whatever. They, and then now look at all the good fruit in my life. Yeah, but you don't like people. You're mean. You are bearing bad fruit. Because the fruit we are to be looking for is love. And when we make it that simple, then a good tree and a bad tree are very easily identified. And again, it's good for us to look in the mirror and go, am I bearing good fruit? Not, not, I'm not worried about business. I'm not worried about this. And I'm not worried about that. Do I love? The love that's been shown to me, the love that we've been talking about through the whole Sermon on the Mount has been poured out on me. Am I letting that love flow out to others? That's good fruit. And wherever we're at, we need more. Right? So that gives us the idea of, Lord, help me to love more. Help me to be loving. Help me to show your love to the lost and to the people that I'm around. All right, verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, In that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? I then will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I think this is the most terrifying statement Jesus ever made. When we we understand this, there's, there's... And this should set the hair on on the back of our necks up. Jesus says, in that day, speaking of the final day, the last and final judgment of all mankind. And I think it's important we understand how deep what Jesus is saying there. Because again, he's speaking to this crowd, and a lot of them are asking, is this guy the Messiah? Who is he, you know? That this is early in Jesus' ministry when this is taking place. And even the disciples are still having questions. And right here, he is making it clear that he will be the final authority over all mankind who has ever existed. That they will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. That's huge. I just watched a video this week of this guy And it was interesting. He did an amazing job of misquoting Scripture after Scripture to show that Jesus isn't God. And he avoided all of these types of Scriptures where Jesus makes it clear. Everybody answers to me. I'm the final authority of all mankind. And they will call me Lord. Yeah, that is putting Jesus as God without any doubt at all. Now, in that day, he will divide the sheep from the goats, the believers from the non-believers. But it's interesting that among that group of non-believers, there is a group that thinks they are believers. And this is why this is terrifying. That this group has done a lot of things, impressive things, In Jesus' name.
And I believe this is tying in to what Jesus has just talked about. And really, as we, we could go back a ways as he's been giving these warnings, these are the ravenous wolves that have disguised themselves as sheep. These are those who have been building an earthly kingdom rather than storing up treasure in heaven. These are the ones that have been giving, serving, praying, all for man's approval. And keep in mind, the context of that is he's speaking of, for us, those that go to church. He's not talking about people outside the church. He's not talking about those who were non-believers. He's talking about those that claim to be believers and are within the body. These are people who have been satisfied to simply play church, to be fluent in Christianese and masters of churchianity, to use His name to impress others. And again, the things they've done are impressive. They prophesied. They've cast out demons. They've done miracles. All in Jesus' name. And people will ask, well, how is that? How could a non-believer use Jesus' name and accomplish anything? Because Jesus' name has power. And he will be honored among the non-believers because of his name, right? And we see there are examples. King Saul, absolute horrible person in terrible sin, and yet God at one point had him speak prophecy. And you go, what? This guy? So, yeah, because Jesus' name has power, these people have been able to impress, able to look spiritual, all of these things. But for all that they've done, they do not know Jesus. They know a lot about him. They can quote a lot of verses. They can speak a lot of things about history and theology. But there hasn't been that humble place of breaking where they admit that they are sinners in need of a savior and they accept the work of jesus christ on the cross there hasn't been that moment for them they've just went well i'm a good person and i go to church and i do this and and man they put on a pretty good show but they've not been in that secret place that jesus has spoken of they haven't just done things for him in secret and grown or even met him in that secret place. There's been no repentance. They've asked, they have not asked for forgiveness. And on that day, Jesus will say, I never knew you. Man, terrifying. Now, it doesn't mean Jesus isn't saying, I didn't know you existed. The word for knew there, or the, the phrase that's known, speaks of an intimate relationship. The idea is to know and be known. It's, it's a two-way relationship. It's what we all long for. We all desire to not only know someone, but to be known by them, right? And be accepted for where, where we're at. And that's, that's that relationship. Jesus is saying, look, I knew you existed, and you knew things about me, but we didn't know each other. Amen. You didn't know my character. You didn't know my personality, and you didn't let me know yours. I never knew you in an intimate way. Terrifying that they could do all this stuff. They could play all this church. They could be on the very threshold of salvation and never cross it. 
And I think the other thing that makes it terrifying is that this is not just a few. This isn't a handful of people at the end of time on that last day of judgment. Jesus says, many. This is a big group of people. This is a massive group of people that was simply satisfied with religion, but never knew Jesus. These are the trees that have been bearing bad fruit for a long time. Verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but everyone who does the will of my Father in heaven. So the question comes up, what is it to do the will of the Father in heaven? Jesus was asked in John chapter 6, what is it to work the works of God? What is it that God wants us to do is the question. And Jesus gives this answer in John 6 verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's our work. That's that's what everybody is called to do. It isn't how much we sacrifice. It isn't which denomination we belong to, which church membership we have, how many Bible verses we've memorized. It isn't casting out demons. It isn't prophesying. It is to believe in the one that God has sent. And then when we start there, and it puts everything else into the right perspective. Because it's possible, as we're seeing, to do all those other things and not believe in the one that God has sent. And they will hear, I never knew you. Again, knowing we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And that before Jesus, we were all bad trees bearing bad fruit. Uh, And he gives us these important details about these people. Again, while it looks like these people like were surprised, and maybe to some degree they are going, oh, well, I thought I knew you. I thought I had a relationship with you. Now I find out I don't. You know, that's a shock to me. Jesus gives this real subtle detail, and it's important, that these are those who practice lawlessness. Not just sinners who struggle. Not just people that go, man, I'm trying to break free of this, and and Lord, help me, and they're trying to pray through and get free from sin. These people practice it. They're getting better at it all the time. They've made a career out of making their sin look like righteousness. And because of that, again... It is proof that they have not received the Holy Spirit that brings conviction because you can't live like that, right? Well, I mean, we can go through times, but he, he will pull us back and, and bring us back to that right place. These are people who practice it, and they've cloaked their sin as if it were righteousness. For us to call him Lord, and again, that's a word we hear a lot as we read through the Bible, we hear Bible studies, and, and everybody talks to Jesus. They go, all call him Lord, and we're like, yeah, right on. That's a good title. But we forget the, what it means. And certainly we don't understand it in our culture. That to call someone Lord is to say, you have the absolute final authority over me. It isn't just, it isn't just giving a nice little nod and going, hey, you're someone important. It's saying, no, you're in charge of everything. 
I, I make no decisions on my own. You're in charge. You're my king. You're my Lord. And though these people say, Lord, Lord, he's not their Lord. It's just a word. Just a title. It means nothing to them. But for us, again, it starts with that simple moment of, Lord, you're right and I'm wrong. I'm a sinner and I need your salvation. I need your forgiveness. I need to be reborn by you. That makes him Lord. And to sell, I, I, think, I think the sinner's prayer is great, but I think it's important that we understand the sinner's prayer is not in the Bible, but the importance of making him Lord is, right? And that's where we just go, you're in charge from now on. Past, present, and future are all yours. You are my Lord. All right, verse 24. There, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words and sayings, or these sayings of mine and does not do them, I will liken to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the flood came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus uh, describes two builders, and I get this, you know, being in construction for 30 years, this is the kind of stuff I'm like, oh yeah, I, I can latch onto that, it makes sense to me. The idea uh, in, this, in this picture is that both of these houses look the same on the outside. They're, they're the same structure, the same, you know, identical design, that on the outside they both look beautiful. And as we look at a house... You know, we look at the architecture, we look at the style, we might compliment the, the color scheme and the paint or whatever, but in 30 years of construction, not once did I ever want, have one person say, that is a great looking foundation. Never. And that's what Jesus is pointing to, that the difference between these two houses is the hidden foundation. And it makes all the difference, right? If the foundation is off, Everything's off. All the way through the roof. You will never correct a wrong foundation. And he gives the example of, you've got the easy foundation. Digging in the sand is easy. Oh, you can make it level, straight, build a sandcastle, whatever you want to do. But whatever you build on it has a very weak, very temporary foundation. And so he is giving this example of these sayings of mine, his word. That whoever builds their life upon his word will withstand the trials of life. But I think that it's important we also recognize there's some, there some challenges when it comes to the word of God, the teachings of Jesus. That first of all, we need to put ourselves in a place to hear them. So coming to church, good job. You guys came to church. 
listening to a Bible study on the internet or on a podcast or whatever, your devotion time in the morning, you're making an effort to actually take in the Word of God. That's the first thing. If you're not taking it in, it can't affect you. Can't can't have any bearing on your life. The second thing is that once we've taken in it, taken in the Word of God, to understand it, to know what it's saying in context. That the Word of God isn't saying what I want it to say; it's saying what it says, and I need to get in line with it. Right. So the context of what's being said. Who is Jesus talking to? Or who's Paul talking to? And what was the chapter before and the chapter after? And how does it all fit together? And what's the real message of what's being said here? That's the context. And again, that takes some work. It takes some effort on our part. The third thing is that we understand the personal application of it. See, we can take something in and we're like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. Right on. But we don't really see how it applies to us. But yeah, people should be kind. But I'm a pretty kind person, so that doesn't really apply to me, right? No, we need to go, what are the areas I'm not kind? Lord, how do you want to apply this to my life, right? And so we start looking for that personal application of the message of the Word of God that we've taken in. Um, But I think it's at that point we can get stalled out. That we figure out what the application is, oh, that's good. That's a great application. And we can tell others about it. And we can listen to Bible studies on it. We can study it in the Greek and the Hebrew. And we can do all these things about it. And we can even tell other people how it should apply to their life. But there's one last step. And Jesus says it makes all the difference. That at some point, whatever that truth is, whatever the application that we figured out, the last step is we actually have to do it. And that's where we can stall out. We come just short of actually applying it We know how it applies, but we have to do it. And that's the difference between these two builders. Jesus said, therefore, whoever hears these things of mine and does them, it has to be active in our lives. And that's a choice that we make for ourselves. Nobody can make it for us. You know, the idea of coming together to study the word or to listen to a Bible study, yeah, that's the first three steps. The last one is up to us, to do it. And again, just like we talked about last week, it's easier to say than to do. It's easier to look at these concepts, these ideas, these teachings, and go, yeah, these are all really good things. I'll just do them. But everything in us, our very flesh, will fight against it. The society we live in will mock us. The decisions that we make, others will not understand. And it is much easier to take the path of least resistance the wide road. Jesus is saying for us to do them, this is the narrow way. It's going to be hard. Storms are going to come, no matter what. But this is what it means to build on the rock. This is what it means to build a foundation that lasts for eternity. The trials And storms are guaranteed. Jesus said in verse 25, And the rains ascended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. The other thing that I've come to find is that our walk with the Lord, again, we're up and down. You know, we have times of low faith. We have times of great faith. We have times that, man, we're just so excited about the Lord. And other times we're maybe doubting, and that's okay. 
But overall, there is a longevity to our relationship with the Lord and to our walk with the Lord. Right? Again, it's looking back the history that we have and go, Lord, look at how far you've taken me. And we can even start to see some of the good fruit that he has brought about in our lives. That should encourage us. And I find that that for me is a, is a huge source of encouragement. When I, when I get in those low times, just start looking back and going, boy, where were we 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Or Lord, remember what a mess I was when you saved me. And, and things that didn't bother me then, they do bother me now because they bother you. you know? And it's just great to go, Lord, I see fruit that you're bringing about in my life that I didn't even know was important. The storms are going to come. We have the choice where and how we build our foundation. But again, to build upon Jesus, to build upon the rock, upon His Word... It's the narrow way. And verse 28 and 29 says, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, it's interesting because you can even still find uh, documentation of this, they did not take a firm stand personally. In other words, when they would teach, they'd go, Well, according to Rabbi so-and-so, this is what you should do. And that way, you could never come back on them, right? So people go, well, I don't agree with that. Well, you're not disagreeing with me. It's Rabbi so-and-so that said that, right? And so they would never take that stand of authority of this is right and this is wrong. It was always this past teacher. And usually it was a rabbi that was dead, so they, like, they couldn't even go against that rabbi or whatever. And Jesus hasn't done that at all. In fact, he said, you have heard it said this, but I say this. And there's a direct correction to the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders because he was in conflict with what they were teaching. He doesn't say this is what the Pharisees teach, but he said this is what you've heard, and I know where you've heard it from. And it's completely wrong. But this is, what, this is the truth. Right? And then he also said, and don't be like the hypocrites that do this and do that. And he describes the life of the Pharisee. Instead, instead, be in that secret place with your heavenly Father, right? And so Jesus is taught from a place of authority. Now, again, the group is like, wow, this guy teaches as though he has authority. He's teaching because he has authority. He can tell you all about God the Father because he knows God the Father. Because he and the Father are one. He is the absolute and final authority of all things. Yet he leaves it up to us if we will call him Lord or not. Have you ever thought about that? That, again, all power, all authority, he could simply make us believe. And I even think as Jesus had discussions and these debates with, with the groups of Pharisees and leaders, he could have just tied them up in such mental knots that they had to believe if, if he wanted to do that. But because Love is based in choice. He leaves us that choice. This is who I am. All mankind will stand before me and I will judge them accordingly. But it's up to you if you want to call me Lord or not. I mean, that is amazing love. God Almighty, eternal and holy, Lord of all and May we choose to build upon Jesus, upon his word, 
and call him Lord from the very deepest part of our hearts. Amen? Amen. Amen.